This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the Non Air Never podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and it's going to be a slightly different show this week. Kevin is here with me and we're going to be examining LGBT issues in football off the back of the Andre Gray tweets that led to the Burnley striker receiving a four-match ban. Um, I'm sure most people listening will be aware of the tweets already, but the most notable of them, he appeared to um, call for gay people to be murdered, saying hashtag burn die makes me sick is it me or are there gay people everywhere these days um so we've spoken to various organizations and people in football about homophobia in sport lgbt issues in sports find out what's what the problem is at the moment to find out what needs to be done and to find out what people think is going to happen in the future so um kevin do you want to get us started with our first interview yeah, thanks. Uh, the first person we spoke to was uh, Leighton. He's a gay Burnley fan, and we started off by asking how he felt when he first read the tweets. Yeah, it, I mean, obviously, it, it felt like someone had punched me in the stomach, to be honest. It was the timing of it as well, because it came, obviously, after the Liverpool match. My dad was driving home. I was on Twitter on my phone in the car next to him, and I was scrolling through Twitter, and I saw Andre Gray was trending, and I was like, yes, amazing. Burnley was trending and I just assumed it was obviously because of the victory and then I clicked on the on the you know the button Andre Gray trending and then I, I looked more into it and it literally I had to get my dad to pull the car over because it it felt like someone had punched me in the stomach I mean at the time that that might sound dramatic to some people but it it was the sheer what he said in in the tweet it wasn't like he just said oh my god I hate Alan Carr he's so camp it wasn't something that innocuous he basically actually tweeted that he wanted the likes of me if you want burned to death (laughs) basically that's what the tweet said it's come out that these were four years ago we all know that we told he's a different person and obviously we've got to hope that he is um um you know i was i was at the next match at accrington after he'd uh the tweets had come to light and obviously he came on the pitch and i didn't really know how to deal with it at the time especially when you know, the supporters were all singing, oh, Andrew Gray can tweet what he wants. And it kind of just, I wasn't comfortable with it then. But I've got to believe he has changed. And the way in my head I'm dealing with it is I've been a, a Burnley fan for, for 25 years. And I'm going to be there long after Andre Gray has gone. Um, and whilst he's on the pitch for us now, I'll support him. And, you know, I hope he scores 20 odd goals for us this season. I really do when he comes back. I've actually just paid for um, my nephew to be a mascot in a few weeks' time at the Palace match. And uh, he's, he's, he either wants to walk on the pitch with Tom Heaton or Andre Gray. And how do I tell, tell an eight-year-old that I don't really want him to walk on yeah, the pitch with Andre Gray? Very, very difficult. Um, Gray's been quite quiet since this all came out. Obviously, he released a statement a couple of hours um, after the, the Liverpool game when these tweets came out. Do you think 
the apology was sufficient. What else do you think Andre Gray should be doing to, to show that he's changed, not just say that he's changed? What would just go a little nod in the right direction is if whilst he was banned, if he went and you know trained with a gay football team, it doesn't he doesn't need to do it as a big PR stunt. It just needs to be a nod in the right places to those people who would notice things like that. Or even, you know, wearing a pair of blooming rainbow laces on the pitch. It's not a big thing, but it's just a little nod. And I think little things like that would go a long way. Um, or even, you know, if he did an interview with Attitude magazine and explained himself, or the Gay Times or whatever, and explained himself why he was like that and how he has changed. And fair enough, then he can be held up in, in actually in a positive view and something good might come out of all this because then he he might be saying, well, I was that person, but it's totally wrong and unacceptable. I've come through it. You can too if you have these feelings kind of thing. And it actually, long term, if he did that in the right way, it could help help homophobia in football, I think, um, because it's obviously quite a high-profile case now in the Premiership. I think that's a good point. Um, generally on homophobia in football, then, um, there's a big Stonewall report that, essentially highlights that it's still a big problem. There's no high-profile out footballers playing in England. Why do you think that is, and what do you think needs to change within the sport for, for homophobia to be eradicated from football? To be, to be honest, if, if I'm really honest, I'm not one for jumping on the bandwagon, and I'm not just I'm not someone who goes around waving a, a rainbow flag, etc. And to be honest, it, it sounds horrible, but I, I, when I go to football, I don't think about that. I don't care, to be honest, if there's a, a gay footballer or a straight footballer, or you know, half the people, you know, everyone in my private life and my work life knows I'm I'm gay. But when I go to the football, it, it's not an issue. I don't. It, it's just irrelevant. Like I don't go, I don't go to Turf Moor in a pink tutu. You know what I mean? It's just I go, sure. I go in a Burnley shirt like I everyone else. Blue tutu so. will be a lot more appropriate. <laughs> but <laughs> it's I, I don't know what's got to change. I mean, obviously, if there is gay players, which you've got to assume ratio wise that there is, then it, it it's up to them. It's it it's obviously a tough one. Personally, I don't think players these days would have so much of a problem with it however that it would be something we know what fans are like it's an easy chant isn't it? It, it it's something that probably would get chanted at them but to be honest I also think if the first one that did it they'd, they'd, they'd be making a stand they'd be making a massive statement but also they could earn a lot of bloody money from it because they'd be the first gay person first, first gay footballer in the premiership or whatever so <laughs> as well as doing a good thing it actually like be held up as some kind of hero to a lot of people as well, which obviously is, is a big thing. Um, and just lastly, you mentioned a couple of chants at, at the Accrington Stanley game. Have you experienced much much other homophobia at football? You know what, I, I, I honestly haven't. Um, as I said, I, I go on the, the ground and, you know, no one probably knows I'm gay or whatever. I'm dressed the same as everyone else. But like chants... Um, to players and stuff, I, I actually haven't, and I'm really happy about that. That's why I've never had to deal with something like this before when I've been supporting Burnley. Um, I, I did hear one thing last time we were in the Premiership, and it, it was something like, "Oh, Raheem Sterling's a lesbian, <laughs> looks like a lesbian." But to be honest, that, that, I don't think that's homophobic. That's actually it was actually it was said with humour. It wasn't said nastily. So some people can get a bit too on the high horse about it all. Um, so, you know, some people, some of the gay people would find that offensive. Personally, I just think it's it's a bit of banter at the football. It's not like, you know, he wasn't doing an Andre Gray tweet where he was like burned to death on Raheem Sterling. It was a funny quip, just as there is lots of banter at football. And um, so I'm lucky enough not to have experienced it, to be honest. And I hope that continues, yeah. So that was Leighton, a gay Burnley fan. It was quite interesting that he um, talked about how comments can be construed as banter. We're going to hear from Stonewall and another gay, gay football fan called Alex on a similar theme a bit later in the podcast and get a slightly different view on that. Um, Kevin, the comment that Leighton made about feeling that he'd been punched in the stomach was, was really interesting. A lot of people don't understand the, the visceral sort of reaction that a lot of people had when they saw these tweets. Absolutely. I wrote about similar feelings in an article I wrote on His Kind uh, about the incident, which we'll put in the show notes if you want to read that. Gray is someone who I've looked up to, admired, and to see him tweet such extreme things about essentially me and people like me 
that initial reaction is almost physical, uh, and I think that's a legitimate reaction. Yeah, I think it's it's difficult if you if you aren't gay to, to understand how someone could have that sort of physical visceral reaction to it. But it's because your community and part of who you are is coming under attack. Yeah, so my first reaction was shock, like I said. But I think secondly, you really understand the effect that words like this can and do have. LGBT people are strongly persecuted against on a routine basis. Uh, You know, it's not too long ago since we had the Orlando attacks and people are scared and ashamed to be who themselves. Young people are killing themselves because of who they find attractive, which is so upsetting. And it's not just, you know, so it's not just being easily offended. It's a reflection and a reminder that I'm not safe because of who I love. So obviously we um, we went to the club, first of all, to find out what they had to say. Ideally, we were going to get Andre on the podcast. That wasn't able to happen for whatever reason. Um, but the club statement at the time of the suspension said that Burnley accepts the decision and Gray regrets the post and has pledged to improve as a person as a role model. Both Football Club takes its responsibility in the wider community seriously and will be investing close to £2 million in community work over the forthcoming season. It's it's worth pointing out that that doesn't specify that it's going to be um, anything to do with LGBT issues, but we will hear from Burnley Football Club's head of community, Neil Hart, a bit later in the podcast. Um, Next then, Kevin went down to Turf Moor to talk to Neil Hart and the Burnley Chief Executive, David Baldwin. And first of all, we wanted to know how Andre was feeling a few weeks after all this came to light. He's bitterly disappointed in terms of this coming to the fore, you know, as a man who's changed his life significantly from 2012 to where he is today. Um, he certainly is a man who, who takes it on the chin, um, but we're dealing with the Andre Gray of 2016. And, uh, yeah, naturally, you know, you can see from his own comments and his, his, his own statement that he responded to straight away that that, that was something he massively wanted to distance himself from um, and was very apologetic because we can't get away from the fact that those those tweets were made and they were made in 2012 but uh, in 2016 you know I'm pleased to say that Andre Gray is not the person of 2012 Sure um, and given you know given Andre's well documented uh, troubled history values he's spoken quite openly about the, some of the, the troubles he has in the past just interested in 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 that, do you think you would have done more in hindsight to, to discover some of those historic things? Um, we talk about one individual who's tweeted over seven and a half thousand times, I believe. Um, you know, a screening process of a incoming employee going forward with regards to social media is something that we, as a club, now are, are reviewing our policy on. Um, again, that's not to say that any comments attributed to any individual historically relate to the person that you are employing at that moment in time, but it's certainly an added level of screening that we will put into effect to be clear about any future situations. Um, You know, would we have been uh, happier to have discovered this earlier and dealt with it appropriately and been clear on our position with Andre before it escalated to what it is? Of course we would, but the reality is we are where we are. Uh, and, And yes, we will make improvements to our policies going forward when it comes to the screening of social media content. Some of Andre Gray's tweets were still made, emerging a full week after the initial incident broke and uh, took a while for his full account to be deactivated. So do you think the club's initial response was, was appropriate? Um, in terms of the player deactivating his account, the player was not enforced to do that in any way, shape or form. It was his own decision as to do that. Um, I think if you take the content, it almost demonstrates the mindset of Andre in relation to his um, statement of apology because the reality is he didn't hide away from his error. The error was brought to, to, to his attention. He didn't go to look to go and retrospectively delete those and say, it wasn't me. What he did was he held his hand up to the situation and very much demonstrated that's not the person he is today. So a few people I've spoken to uh, have said they've, they thought the club's response was pretty weak. Um, so statements were slightly non-committal. Um, there was no strong set statement of support for LGBT people, and uh, some have said that the Sean Dash's comments about the, the common sense um, element was almost trivialising um, Andrew Gray's comments. So, would you say that's fair? 
No, I, I, what I would say is that we recognise the individual and we recognise that he is not that person of 2012. Andre Gray in 2016 is a man who has substantially changed the direction of his life and actually he's demonstrating to become a positive role model. It's unfortunate the situation has occurred and if we were dealing with an individual who was found to be homophobic, racist and showing sexual discrimination today in 2014 and that was the Andre Gray, 2016 that was the Andre Gray of today we would be having a whole different debate with Andre yeah. Gray about him and, uh, and you know his involvement with the football club but we're not what was very from the onset of the prosecution of the FA uh, to the summarization from the judgment from the panel both parties made it clear that they didn't deem Andre Gray today to be homophobic racist or showing sexual discrimination you know he's he's gone in front of a um, a panel disciplinary panel he's had a punishment the punishment has been accepted and you know you want to draw a line on it and allow the man to continue to to continue to change the life that he's gone away from and be a positive role model so that was David Baldwin from Burnley Football Club talking about Andre Gray um, now we, we do want to move on from Gray specifically because the podcast is going to be about homophobia generally but a couple of things to pick out on this Kevin the the due diligence aspect the fact that Burnley don't seem to have any sort of social media policy for players is jarring to start with and also tweets from his account were being brought to light days a full week after the first ones after the Liverpool game which seems bizarre that obviously nobody had been through his account yeah, David was keen to stress that this all happened so quickly, but I, I still think it surprised me that it took so long to discover um, all the tweets, particularly as this was something that if a ban was to then result in us getting relegated, could potentially cost the co- club you know, £100 million pounds or whatever it is. Um, okay, there's 7,000 tweets in there, but we knew a rough timeline of when to look for them. Um, I think the whole initial reaction from the club was, was too naive. It was very slow. Uh, I don't think we really appreciated the severity and the importance, particularly uh, initially. But it's good that they're reviewing the policy on it. I think this is something we need to learn from uh, and be more prepared in future. And that's not just Burnley. I think that's football in general. Yeah, it's, it seems very strange to me. And also the point on um, Gray having changed. What what is still getting me is that he's he hasn't proven it yet. He's, he's just saying he is. And we're talking now what is it, around a month after these comments first came out. As far as we're aware, there's been no work in the LGBT community from Andre. He's not released a statement since his very first one on the day it happened. There's been nothing to actually prove that he's changed, apart from everyone saying that he has. We'll hear from Neil uh, a little bit later on about the community work at Burnley Football Club. But yeah, it, it is a difficult one because we've only got his words and particularly when some questionable tweets were still coming to light from two years ago when he was a professional player playing at a high level uh, of football. And I'm not saying that he, ha- he hasn't changed because it's clear that he's a very different person to when he was, who he was back then. But I would like to see him demonstrate that he has changed and, and, and demonstrate how he's changed. And it, uh, just finally on this, it's noticeable that um, David Baldwin was very keen to point out Gray was the one who took the lead on taking down his Twitter account. His Twitter account is now back up and running as normal, almost as if nothing had happened, which is also a bit strange. So moving Gray aside for now, next up Kevin spoke to Paul Mortimer, who is the player's engagement officer for Kick It Out, who... A lot of people think it's just about racism in football, but they also cover all sorts of discrimination, so it's very interesting to hear from them. The first question was, are LGBT attitudes and representation still a big issue in sport? I think it is. <laughs> of course it is. Um, again, I, the way I see it when I talk, when I talk to a lot of players about it, um, you know, there is players are uncomfortable with it because if you consider the environment a player has been brought up in, it's not something they would be exposed to within that football environment. Now, outside that environment, of course, yeah, and society outside, you know, that they may well be. But if you consider how players are, the messages that are sent to players, I mean, I played myself from a very young age. It's toughen up, be a man, don't lose. Uh, pardon my French, don't, don't, don't play like a girl. 
Do you know what I mean? Things like that. It was literally all of that stuff you're drip fed. So by the time you get to 17 or 18, what's ingrained in you is don't show any weakness. Don't show any sensitivity. The emotions that people look for are aggression, anger and stuff like that. So when we talk about, when I go in and talk about uh, uh, um, homophobia, lesbian and gay players and, and what have you, I always ask the question, you know, why are, aren't there any? lesbian or, 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 or openly gay footballers. Um, and they will all say, you know, it's because of, you know, there, there's a fear amongst lesbian gay players. And, and, I, and, and when, I, when, we, when we ground it down, it's literally, you know, the players admit themselves, you know, it would be difficult for players to come out because of the way we behave as players. If there are players struggling with their sexuality, it's going to be difficult because within their own environment, uh, 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 homophobic slurs are part of what is called banter so you know and, and when I explain that to the players they, they openly acknowledge you know what it would be difficult for a player to come out although what they do say the players is if a player did come out we would look after him we'd protect him and, and all of that but uh, they'll say that but then I'll, I'll rewind back and say but you use homophobic slurs so you need to stop that before saying that you'd be able to look after a lesbian and gay player because it's the behaviour that that prohibits it from happening. So, um, yes, and more than anything, education is needed. I think the most important aspect of it is education. Um, when I speak to a lot of players and say, have you had any experience? Have you been exposed? Have you met anyone that may be lesbian or gay? And a lot haven't, or that's what they say. Um, and, and there is that also, you know, it, there's very much a playground humour to, to football. You know, if I'm associated with someone that's gay, what will people think about me? That kind of childish aspect comes into it. And then, you you know, you, you try to make players aware that, you know, you're talking about people here. So I find it really interesting you talked about the messages players get as they're, as they're coming through the ranks almost. Do you think the, the issue is, is more that... Um, gay players are uncomfortable or worried to come out or do you think the issue is bigger that actually gay players are almost pushed out of the system because they feel they're, they're unwelcome it's probably a little bit of both I mean but but then I, I think you know the pushing out I, I wouldn't say a player would ever consciously want to do that I, I don't see that but what it does when when you're on the receiving end of or, or if you're in an environment where you know, homophobic slurs are the norm, then if you are struggling with your sexuality in terms of coming out, it's going to isolate you. It's going to make things very difficult and you are never going to be able to feel free and be yourself because this is what, ultimately, this is what these players think about someone like you. And so uh, there's been a couple of players uh, in the last couple of years, Andrea Gray being one of them, that have been charged because of homophobic uh, comments on Twitter. Uh, just want, interesting to know what, what you think, what extra complexity things like social media um, adds to the picture, because it's very different from a few years ago where um, the, every everything what uh, fans would hear from players has gone through the media, it was very structured, whereas now players can just put something out there um, instantly without any vetting almost. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, again, part of the work we do is talk to players about social media, how, it, how they use it, how it's used against them. You know, these, I mean, uh, you know, what I think we also have to take into consideration is what Andre Gray was as a person four years ago and what he is now. Has he changed? Has he improved? Are his, 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 his thoughts different? I've got to say, I don't know. I, you know, I've wanted to talk to him. I don't know. But if they are... I think that's something that needs to be taken into into consideration because when a lot of people are a lot younger, they do say things that you just think, wow, you know, that is the most inconsiderate and, and brainless thing, you know, that they may have heard someone else say. I don't know if he if he really held those beliefs. Uh, so obviously there's, there's going to be the, the punishment from the football association, maybe clubs. Is there anything footballers themselves can do almost voluntarily to, to say, to show, okay, look, I'm not that person. This is what I'm doing to to turn this into a better situation? Well, I think the, the most important thing footballers have to do is educate themselves. And you know what? It sounds really weird, but it's almost like they have to sit and explain themselves. Explain what you meant. Because finding them, not for me. Because that doesn't really educate. 
I think it's it's about taking their time away from from the players and exposing them to to what it is that you know who it is that they've upset and making people making them aware of the impact because what they don't realise is what players don't realise is the impact that their words have on other people because they're not in that environment. So put them in that environment where there are people who have been offended by what they say and let them... Ex- and it's not, a, it's not a kangaroo court or anything like that. It's just literally the only way you're going to make them aware of that is to expose them to it and make them aware that, you know what, every time I open my mouth, every time I say something, there are so many people who are listening, who will copy it, who will emulate what I do, you know, and it's not about putting players under pressure. It's just about them understanding a lot more about what it is to be a professional footballer and the responsibilities to conduct yourself properly that you have. Great, thank you. Uh, and, and finally, how far do you think we've come in the last five years and, and where do you think or hope we might be in five years' time? i tell you how far we've come. A couple of players, um, Thomas Hitzberger, I think Robbie Rogers, came out after they finish playing that's how far we've come that's probably the best way I can put it you know four or five years ago none of this you would never have heard any of it the only progress I think we've made is that we have work to do there is absolutely no dispute in that you know and, and so football has to look at itself and first things first it has to acknowledge there's a problem because if we don't acknowledge there is a problem we can't put stuff in place to actually deal with it you know, yes, racism is a huge issue and, and because it's there and it's visible and everyone can see it and, and it's tangible, we're slowly, even that, slowly doing things. You know, the, the ball is slowly moving with racism, in my opinion. Now, if, 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 if homophobia comes behind that, imagine how slow the ball's moving in that situation and that's where we are. That was really interesting to hear from, from Paul from Kick It Out about how a lot of footballers say that they just don't know any LGBT people. I, I wonder if that was maybe the case for, for Andre at the time of of when he sent those tweets. But is it just the fact that football's a bit of a bubble, Kevin? Or how do, how do you get your head around that sort of idea? It's so strange to think that people just don't mix with people that are LGBT. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a couple of issues there. One, yeah, it, it is a little bubble. I think you almost... You, you come into the youth development system when you're a young kid, and then um, you, you, you're in the other way in, until your adult career, essentially. And particularly when Paul was talking about some of the, the attitudes that are drilled into you um, in the youth development system, you know, like don't kick it like a girl and um, don't be soft and things, you can really imagine how that sort of atmosphere can um, mean that you're not exposed to, to things which are, are particularly things like uh, like homophobia and gay people and LGBT uh, people in general. Yeah, the, the other thing I wanted to point out from this was Paul talking about changing the attitudes of of players and it's it's the same thing from fans and we had an email from a Burnley fan called Alex talking about the Andre Gray ban and he suggested that most people are indifferent to homosexuality, they're just not bothered about it, it doesn't affect them. Um, but he suggests that because the ban is perceived to have affected Burnley, that indifferent fans have unknowingly become ignorant to homophobia because of the ban. We've seen that with things like the chance that he tweets what he wants. And Is it the case that, that maybe this whole thing has, has legitimised homophobia a little bit, do you think? Um, I'm not sure. I think I'd certainly say that the reaction I've seen online was strikingly different um, from when the comments first came out and when the ban was announced. When the comments first came out, it was almost entirely condemnation of um, Andre Gray. It was, um, but when the ban was announced, it was the opposite. It was very much in support of Andre Gray, not support of his comments, but support of you know this is this is too strong this is too yeah, strong a it was punishment. almost like Gray had become the victim absolutely yeah uh, and I think that's where there's a, a probably a, a slight concern and I think that's why it's really put really important that this isn't the end of it and that there is education from lots of different sources but na- mostly from from Burnley Football Club and Andrea Gray himself so next then Kevin again um, spots is Stonewall who I'm sure most people will be aware of are an organisation um, that aim to combat homophobia, not just in sport. He spoke to Robbie from their campaigns team. 
Stonewall's just published uh, new research from ICM looking at the experience of uh, sport fans right across sport uh, in, in terms of the homophobia, biphobia and transphobia they hear and also what they think about it. Um, what we found is that 72% of football fans have heard homophobic abuse in the last five years and this is actually an increase uh, on two th when we did last did this research in 2009 when 70% had heard homophobic abuse. So the, kind of the problem isn't going away. Um, we also looked at kind of how different fans, different attitudes, have different attitudes across the fan community. And we were surprised to find that 18 to 24-year-olds, young sports fans, were more likely to hold anti-LGBT attitudes. In some cases, they were almost twice as likely to, to say that they're, they'd be embarrassed if their favourite player came out as gay or um, if they think homophobia is just harmless banter. But what, what is really reassuring is that right across all sports fans, including football, there is an overwhelming support for lesbian, gay, bi and trans people as, as players, as fans. You know, people have had enough of hearing all this kind of all these derogatory remarks, uh, offensive chants at games, and they think there is a positive role for openly LGBT players in, in football, in other sports, and really we just, this is all about uh, football fans, sport fans, kind of coming together and saying, we welcome LGBT people, uh, you're part of our community, and we want to tackle those negative attitudes against LGBT people. Uh, absolutely. Um, and there's been, there have been a couple, one or two incidents of footballers being charged with homophobic comments, particularly on Twitter recently. So what, what impact do comments like these have are on gay people, but also on the perception of gay people along a, among the wider community? I think I think to to LGBT people seeing these comments, it just then it confirms what people have already suspected that you're not safe and you're not welcome in sport. And even if you know these are just a small minority of footballers saying these things, it's just that you know it just puts in you a sense of fear. Um, if someone's saying really really horrible words in a tweet, it, you, you just don't feel safe. Um, and and I think it, it also kind of sends the message that there aren't really any LGBT people in sport that it's kind of that they just aren't part of that world of sport fans or sport players because you know you see these high profile players saying such negative things about them and and, no, and so so yeah it's really worrying and, and and I think it's it's really good that um that in the case of Andre Gray that he apologized so quickly um and I think you know it's, it's really important to make an example of it um, so that others get the message that, that these kind of attitudes just aren't welcome in sport anymore. They're not acceptable. Yeah, and you mentioned Andrew Gray's, uh, Andrew Gray's apology there, and I think a lot of a lot of fans I've seen have been very much like, oh, you know, it was a long time ago, he's apologised, let's forget it and move on now. But do you think that is enough? Do you think apologies are enough? Or do you think um, there's, there's more what footballers can do proactively to, to really make a statement and stand up for, um, for, this, for this issue? Um, I, I'd always say that an, an apology is always a great first step. Um, it's better than a non-apology or uh, not seeing it as wrong. So, so we're, we're really grateful that he kind of recognised that it was a problem. But I think the real opportunity is for footballers like Andre Gray to address people who are like he was then, uh, to say that, you know, this is what I was feeling, but this is what I've learned now, this is how I've changed, and you can make that change yourself you can change your attitudes because this is what I've seen and this is what's happened and this is what I've realised over time. So, I, you know, it's obviously a difficult time for Andre Gray, but I think over the longer term, it would be great for him to become a spokesperson for equality campaigns uh, and to, to, to speak to fans uh, and other players who might think like he used to think and convince them that that's not, that's not the way to be in sport these days. Uh, and finally, a little bit of predicting the future here, um, but where do you think we've come in the last five years and, and where do you think we'll be, or where would you like us to be in the next five years? So I think in the last five years, we, we largely accept that homophobia, biphobia and transphobia in sport is a problem. Uh, that's progress. I don't think it was really established as a problem before. And what I hope will happen over the next five years is that we will see much, you know, hearing homophobic remarks at football games will be a much rarer occurrence. I don't think we'll have got rid of it in five years, but I would hope that it's just not something you hear. And as a result, I hope that 
more people feel happy going to football games, they feel comfortable, and that's not just LGBT people, it's, it's right across the board. And I hope that players and clubs see welcoming LGBT people as a key part of what they do, um, and, and they can have a consistent overtime in, in welcoming them, uh, welcoming LGBT people in the sport. That was Robbie from Stonewall. Um, if you are involved in a sports club, Robbie was talking about um, steps you can take to improve conditions for LGBT people and that kind of thing. They have a toolkit for sports clubs. You can find out more about that at stonewall.org.uk slash sport. Um, Kevin, the main takeaway, I think, from that little section was the the statistics that, that show that homophobia is becoming more common with young people. I always think that young people tend to be more liberal. The next generation always becomes a bit more liberal, but the research by Stonewall seems to suggest that that's not the case. It's the other way around. They're becoming more more homophobic. Yeah, that was uh, concerning. And I think it'd be interesting actually to see if that's changed since Velocity um, or if it's a, a consistent thing that the younger people are how hold these attitudes more than the older people. You know, you could argue that it's it's an age thing and not a generation thing. So it's it's young people trying to impress the mates. It's like almost like laddish culture. Um, so hopefully, as as these individuals grow up, their attitudes will grow up with them. Um, I think most most concerning for me though was the the number of people who have heard anti LGBT remarks at games um, has actually increased. It's now seventy two percent. So Jamie spoke to Alex, who's a gay football fan, uh, about his experiences of homophobia at football. Um, so homophobia at football grounds can take a lot of forms. Um, it can be as simple as just kind of people um, yelling that a player's a bit of a puff to kind of get up off the ground, right through to people kind of really, really nasty kind of like vicious words like faggot and queer. Um, it's usually directed at players i found on the ground. It's quite difficult for people um, to identify you based on your sexual orientation because it's something inside. But I have heard of instances myself as well where it's been directed at, uh, at individuals in the grounds. Do you think when, when people are using those words, do you think they realise that they're being homophobic or is it just like no. a general insult for them? No, I don't think so. I think when people use those kind of like aggressive homophobic words, they are just throwaway language. I think in the heat of the moment, most people have said something that they'd regret. And, you know, if you watch the video of yourself at a match, you'd look back and, and wonder what you were using. But I don't think the intention uh, is homophobic, unfortunately, because of the kind of power of some of the words that they use in the, the context. Um, it is homophobic and it's extremely damaging, I think, both for LGBT football fans and for players. And how does it make you feel as a gay supporter when you're at a football game and you hear that sort of thing? It actually, it makes me feel really very uncomfortable. Um, one of the reasons that I didn't come out for so long is in my own football team and things, I wasn't sure if I'd be accepted um, for being gay because there are so few out LGBT kind of football leagues. Um, and certainly in a ground, um, it makes me feel like I can't really be myself and talk about things. So, for instance, if I go to the pub before with my mates, um, we might not necessarily talk about blokes that I'm dating because um, you don't really know like who's there and whether or not they'll be okay with it based on sure. what you hear on the terraces later. Does it, does it put you off from going to games at all? Um, I wouldn't say it puts me off from going to the match. Like, I, I've the kind of social side around it. I have withdrawn from that or at points. Um, in fact, I remember particularly, I went to go and watch the England match against Wales. I got given the afternoon off by my boss really, really kindly. Um, and I left at half-time because uh, there was a fellow who screamed, get up, you faggot, extremely loudly at the TV to such a kind of, in such an aggressive way. It really shook me. Um, it was just after the Orlando attacks, in fact. And I was wearing a little rainbow pin um, and I felt super exposed. I thought, if this is the view that that man holds, if he looks over just two feet to his left, what's he going to say about me? So, uh, yeah, I left the pub at half-time and come back. That sounds terrible. Um, just lastly, then, a lot a lot of people who use the sort of words that you were talking about earlier, saying it's just banter seems to be one of the common responses. Why is that a problem that, that it gets written off as, as being banter and a joke instead of what it is, which is homophobic abuse? If you allow people to write that stuff as, you know, banter and just joking around, then you say that it's okay and that it's normal. 
And the problem is, the more that you normalise that language, the less likely it is that footballers will come out, the less likely it is that kids who are there with their parents at football matches feel like they could come out. And it just contributes to this culture where being gay or bisexual, lesbian or trans is seen as like a really, really negative thing. Um, and we need to encourage like not just like good role models within the sport, but good role models of fans and stuff as well. There are some fantastic um, LGBT supporters groups who are doing really good work, um, both with clubs and with fans, uh, to encourage people to just challenge that behaviour when they see it and also to educate other supporters on what is and isn't acceptable. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us out. It's really interesting to get the perspective of a, a gay football fan. No worries, thanks a lot, Paul. So that was Alex talking about homophobia that he's experienced um, at football. Kevin, quite a sharp contrast with um, what Leighton said at the top of the podcast about how some comments can be perceived as banter. Obviously, we're not saying that Leighton's wrong to think that, but Alex obviously got a different view on on how these words hold a certain power. Yeah, and I think you're looking at different contexts. Really, I think Leighton's talking about his 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 own personal um, response to comments like that, and you can take into in, in, you know into mind the context and things like that. But I thought Alex was he he mentioned that the power that these words have, uh, which I think was very interesting. And I think if you use these sort of words and that sort of language so often, it does almost uh, trivialise them, um, which again, which in turn normalises that homophobia, which can be quite dangerous so while this you might think this one individual comment isn't a big deal I think when it adds into the bigger picture it, it, it can be quite quite dangerous yeah I think we really get into the, the the nub of the issue here which is how difficult it can be to be an LGBT football fan which if you're not from that community you maybe just don't understand and that was one of the things I spoke to Di Cunningham from Pride in Football about she's up next Pride in Football is an organisation that is sort of an umbrella for LGBT fan groups. And Di also pointed out that Burnley are one of the few Premier League clubs that don't currently have an LGBT fan group. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of social progress. Things like gay marriage have happened very quickly in the last few years. But why do you think LGBT discrimination representation remains an issue within football? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Especially you know, in the last year, in the last couple of years, so many sports people have come out in other sports. Um, Tom Daly really kicked things off with this incredibly moving YouTube video. And, you know, there are, uh, are England women players who are out. But other than that, football seems to remain in its in its little bubble, uh, representing, you know, maybe the views of a, a previous century, um, and that's, you know, it's not just in this country, it's across the world. Uh, so football clearly is a very difficult um, nut to crack in terms of inclusion. I think one of the, the problems within football fans is that they don't seem to understand the, the challenges that face LGBT supporters. There must be a lot of people who feel that football is not for them because of how they see other fans behaving. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, since... Um, since Proud Canaries formed uh, two years ago, initially there were some reports of homophobia that came to the club. And so people were thinking, well, you know, is Norwich City a really homophobic place? But actually what happened was the club had really taken us to heart. They'd allowed us to parade on the pitch at half time. And, you know, they retweeted our tweets and they promoted us in the programme and they gave real messages of LGBT inclusion. They've also allocated tickets specifically to LGBT fans who've never been to a game before and tried to open up Carrow Road uh, as a place that welcomes LGBT people. And since we launched, and there were those initial reports of homophobia, there haven't been any since. So it's almost like people acknowledge that their club embraced the LGBT community and they trusted them to investigate complaints and so they were prepared to complain and they were prepared to take charge of their very expensive little space at a football game at home every two weeks and say that they didn't want to hear this you know and the people who spout that foul-mouthed homophobic abuse that that's not all they're spouting. They're coming out with other foul language as well, and it's torrential and it's constant. And people are saying, oh, "I don't want to hear that anymore." 
I'm going to report you to my club. And, you know, on one level, that seems like a thing that football supporters don't do. You know, you don't, you don't grass up other fans. But actually, you know, when you're paying that much money and sitting with your shoulders tense, waiting for the next torrent of abuse, you know, it is time to take charge. It is time to uh, improve everyone's match day experience, really. And I think, you know, that's something that all of the LGBT fan groups seem to be able to do. And yeah, there are there are things, it's not just at home, is it? I mean, I had a really bad experience last year um, when we were in the Premier League <laughs> away at um, West Brom. And uh, there was a, a, a West Brom fan who was just coming out in the most important, you know, just constant fag of this, fag of that. And I was standing next to a steward and a, a police officer and I said to them, can't you do something about that? They just kind of rolled their eyes. So there's a real training issue there. And the more LGBT visibility we have in football, uh, the more those things will be addressed by clubs and by the authorities. You mentioned it earlier, but talking about uh, visibility of LGBT people within football, it seems to be completely different in fo- in women's football, where quite a few of the high-profile players are out. It doesn't seem to be an issue. In contrast with the male game, where there are no professionals playing in English football that are out. Yeah, why, why do you think it's so different in women's football? I think what's interesting about what you just said, uh, Jamie, is that, I mean, actually still at the the elite level, playing for England, you've only got, I think you've only got Leanne Sanderson and Casey Stoney still. But within the pyramid of women's football in this country, there are countless women who are players and are comfortable being out, you know, out with their fellow players, uh, out on social media, so all the fans know. And, you know, there's a there's a different atmosphere, isn't there, at women's games? Uh, they, they just seem more inclusive all round, uh, much more relaxed, uh, less stewarding needed. You, you hear less abuse anyway. Um, I mean, there is a there is a parallel thinking in um, men's non-league in that if you look at um, some of the clubs now, like um, Dulwich Hamlet, uh, Whitehawk in Brighton. And Clapton Ultras, they're wonderfully inclusive clubs. And I think Whitehawk, I think it's Whitehawk, they've painted the steps of the stadium. So each one says no to homophobia, no to racism, no to sexism. But um, they're just a really inclusive club. And uh, so, you know, I think that will come. And and within Pride of Football, we have got non-league members, um, particularly um, a club I haven't mentioned, another fantastically inclusive club, is um, FC United of Manchester. So, you know, maybe that's the way it's going to come. You know, we've got inclusion in, at the top level for fans now with the 22 LGBT fan groups in private football. And that's not just in Premier League. That's, you know, through the Championship and Leagues 1 and 2, down to non-league. Um, but... You know, I've got really good things happening in at non-league level in football. Again, where, you know, more people can go because it's not so expensive. So maybe that's where we need to look. That's really interesting. To circle to circle around then, the, the, the reason that we started thinking about this podcast was the Andre Gray tweets. Uh, he's been punished by the FA, he's got a fine, suspended from playing for four games. But what do you think he should or could do next to maybe show a bit of remorse for what he did and, and should the club be involved in that or does it have to be Andre Gray going out and doing it? Well, it's interesting. Burnley is one of the handful now of Premier League clubs that don't have an officially recognised LGBT fan group. So I really hope that, you know, this is an opportunity for them to do something. They've never been particularly active in any, as far as I know, in any of the anti-discrimination uh, in terms of homophobia campaigns, like the football v homophobia campaign that comes around in February, um, and let's hope we see you know some rainbow laces coming up in November and active participation in football v homophobia in February. Um, so I think it would be great if they use this as an opportunity, working with Andre, to help Andre deliver what he's saying. He's saying he's apologised and he's not a homophobe. So. I'm doing my maths. If there is six to eight percent of the population uh, are LGBT, you'd expect at least a thousand. Yeah, yeah, certainly hundreds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so 
how fantastic would it be for Andre to meet with some of those LGBT people, some of the fans, talk to them about their experience, you know, if they experience prejudice and discrimination and abuse when they're watching football, uh, talk to them about that and get a real sense of, of, of their perspective um, and talk about his his epiphany, his, you know, how how can he, how does he deal with what he did um, I think uh, that would be fantastic process on his journey, but also uh, he needs to acknowledge LGBT people and and LGBT Bernie fans would be a great place to start. Definitely, I think there's some really good points. Um, one specific example that that you've raised and I've mentioned it, a few other people said is the the rainbow laces thing, but a lot of people don't seem to understand what that does. It's it's a visibility thing, isn't it? It is, yes. I mean, the people in the past have said it's a kind of tick box exercise for clubs. Because, for instance, if you look at Manchester United, um, last year they did a, an exchange of giant laces with Arsenal on the pitch, the team captains. And uh, fair enough for Arsenal to be uh, holding their giant rainbow laces because they've got a really active LGBT fan group. They might not have any out players, like, you know, and there is no out player in, in the Premier League or elsewhere in league football, but they're really proud of their gay gooners. And then you look at Manchester, and Manchester's got Manchester City, a really flourishing LGBT fan group there with Canal Street Blues, um, who were really visible on this year's Manchester Pride Parade with their double decker bus. Um, but Manchester United still no LGBT fan group, you know, along with them. That seems amazing for arguably the biggest club in the world. But, and and hopefully things will happen there. Uh, so some people have said in the past, well, you know, so what does rainbow laces mean? You, you're you're doing this on TV, uh, exchange giant rainbow laces. Maybe a few of your players are wearing them, but but what does it mean in terms of day to day inclusion of LGBT people at your club? Uh, so there's still there is still some work to do. I thought that was really interesting. Um, so Pride in Football have got a toolbox on their website for any fans of any team who are looking to set up a LGBT supporters group. Uh, you can find that at prideinfootball.co.uk. So Di was quite quite critical of Burnley Football Club on a couple of occasions there. So I went along and asked uh, Chief Executive David Baldwin and also Neil Hart, the Head of Community, about that. Uh, so I'll start by asking David whether he supports a LGBT Burnley Sport Club. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I had a situation at Bradford when I, I was there for eight years as chief executive, and uh, you know, as a club, I, w- I was contacted by um, uh, Lindsay England a number of years back with a decision as to how the club could help facilitate um, LBGD supporters group there. Exactly the key in the word, help to facilitate, because a need was brought to the table, and and we're very open to suggestion on how we as a club can assist in any way, shape, or form to any form of. Um, you know, group that feels you know not being well represented by the football club. Uh, quickly, so we spoke to Kicking Out, um, professional player engagement manager, um, and he said that he believes that gay footballers feel unable to come out or they're driven out of the system, um, largely because of that, of that atmosphere is drilled into them throughout the, the youth development system. So, how will Burnley create uh, ensure that young players get the support they need and also a working environment that doesn't create this atmosphere? The, the professionalism of the, the way that academy management is run, especially with the building of a brand new building, where the, the emphasis is about us getting to a categorisation too, um, that's not the culture that operates within this football club when it comes to you know youth development football. Having been a player who's gone through a youth development football scheme in the eighties, you know the for example our new appointment of our academy manager um, wrote the audit tool, the, the, the criteria that we're all measured by in order to achieve our status, he's now employed internally in the club. Your culture is measured by the people who you put into lead. And, um, you know, we've, we've in the last uh, two weeks, we've employed a full-time safeguarding officer for the, for the whole football club. So, just want to read a couple of comments, because I wrote about Andrew Gray, a couple of comments I got um, from, from Burnley fans um, on a, in a public Burnley, Burnley arena. So, things like, whoever wrote this, definitely likes to the bum, set up queer bastards, uh, keep it behind closed doors, uh, should get lashings. Whoever wrote this can go and stick another cock up his ass. Uh, and typical of minority groups to ram their difference down other, other, other people's throats. Um, so I just want to see. Disgraceful comments. Yeah, and, and just with response to that, are you, as a club, aware of 
how big an issue homophobia can be in football. I think uh, as, a, as an individual um, and as a chief executive of the business, I, I think it's sad that in this 21st century that those even comments even enter the domain. Um, and if I was to hear those kind of comments in this stadium, they would be banned immediately. Um, yes, yeah, so Neil, so what does what does Burnley do to, to discourage homophobia and to support LGBT people in the community? Well, I, I think the key word here is inclusivity. So everything we do is inclusive. We had an individual who came to us with uh, transgender um, issues, if you like, and we changed their lives. They left us with increased confidence, self-esteem in a positive place, with an appetite to go and find work and to go and engage in the community and, and make something and move themselves forward. So that's a really positive example. We don't shout about that. We don't post that on the club website, but that work is happening every day. My team are out there doing that community work. Uh, we took 60 young people away over the summer on our NCS programme. We had eight to nine uh, individuals on that programme, uh, gay individuals, both male and female, um, and they engaged and they took part of it. But we don't make a big deal about that. that that's day to day for us. Whoever you are, whatever your circumstances, whatever your abilities are, whatever your background, we're inclusive. Come and be part of what we do. Uh, okay, and Di from Pride in Football, who I mentioned earlier, says yeah. Burnley's never been particularly active in any homophobia and anti-homophobia campaigns, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Uh, and also, you come to the Football versus Homophobia campaign website. You've not been subscribed to that for the last two years. So, yeah, I'll be very honest with you, and, and we've talked about doing an awareness campaign here. Um, and it's something we and I decided that we wouldn't do it last season but it was purely in logistics but I did make a commitment that we will be doing a game this forthcoming season an LGBT awareness game so we will be doing that this season and we will be picking that up so that is a commitment from Dave and I that that will definitely happen but but I, I, I keep going back I'm, I'm not sure we're getting things right in football Kevin from, from that point of view and, and kick it out as an example and I'm not going to be critical what I'm going to say is Kick It Out has been going for 15, 20 years and we roll the same stuff out year in, year out. We do a game, we have a flag, we have players in a T-shirt, but is it changing? Are we moving forward? cannot be tokenistic. Yeah. It's got to be impactful and I think that's what we pride ourselves on and that's what I get into my staff about every day. We do not do things which are tokenistic to tick a box and, oh, we've done that and we'll, we'll, we'll part that till next year. We want to do meaningful work which changes people's lives and raises awareness and actually makes people think differently and, but more importantly, behave differently. Do you think, in light of what's gone in the last last couple of months, do you think the club needs to and will do some make a particular um, kind of stand publicly against against homophobia and, and also public support LGBT people? Well, I, I would question the reasoning why we would need to do that because. As I said to you, surely it's about we're a community club and we have a community offer. We don't do it for the BAME community. So why should we do it for lots of different... We don't do it for the disability community. So so why should we do it for the LGBT community just off the back of, of, of the incident? Not having with Andre Gray. I think... Um, um, sorry to, to say, I think nothing should be reactionary. So... Don't go for don't go for a cheap gimmick to, to try and appear that you're you're doing something just for the sake of a response. You know, we we've spoken probably about the you know the, we'll, in due course we'll have a, um, a conversation with Andre about you know how he can have a, a add to a positive effect on the community engagement we're doing. But it's not doing as a reactionary process yeah. and doing it so yeah. we can put it out there as a headline. Mm. Um, um, you know, and, and Neil's already said that you know we, we'll we'll have a, a specific match awareness day. But we need to really hit the point home. That's not being done as a result of yeah. of this, uh, you know, of the FA uh, hearing. That's been done because that was programmed with a plan to do it. And the reason why it actually wasn't done last season is we've been quite keen to make sure that we don't. It goes back to the bucket collection scenario. You know, you get charity bucket collections. If you do uh, twenty three games, if you do it twenty three times, what happens in the end? It de- devalues the impact of what you're doing. So generally, we have um, four stroke five theme games. We could have very easily got Andre and rolled him out across lots of different activities. Look at how brilliant Andre is, look what he's doing. But we're not going to do that because actually we want to do that when that's right. Quite a lot of different things to, to go out from that, I think. Um, first of all, the, the, the fact that they've not done football v homophobia because of logistics doesn't seem much of, of an explanation um, to me. And 
Kevin, you'll have more of an understanding from this as you are gay and you went to talk to them, but it doesn't feel like they they don't get it. They still don't understand, I don't think. They don't understand that homophobia in football is still a massive issue and that this has put the spotlight on the club. Um, absolutely, yeah. I think we talk, we talked a lot about inclusivity, which is great, but it's almost like that that should be a given. That's not. They don't seem to recognise that something has changed, and they don't. I don't think they really seem to. They didn't seem to recognise that probably as much as I would like to them, them to have. They were talking about you know why should we do something now? Well, I think we should do something now because because something's changed because this does impact on local local people. It one potentially normalises homophobia, but two. The guy from Stonewall was talking about how people have got LGBT people can have a fear of going to football, um, and that is going to happen to, to to you know to that's what people in the local community who are in the LGBT community are going to feel that. You've also got a young Burnley Burnley fan who is who is gay. He's worried about himself. These comments, regardless of whether Andrea's changing or not, are going to impact on these people. Yeah, I think um, also. One last thing to pick out. I'm sure that David Baldwin didn't mean for it to come across this way, but when he was talking about theme days and it being devalued, what he appeared to suggest was that the club doesn't think homophobia in football is on that same level. And I also think it's good that the club has committed to to support the Football versus Homophobia campaign this season. Even if it's not a direct response to the Grey incident, all eyes will be on Burnley Football Club. So hopefully the club can can do something really impactful there and, and some good can come from this. Yeah, absolutely. And just lastly, I think what, what Neil was saying about um, minor things that seem to just be box ticking, it massively contrasts with what we've been told. We've we tried to speak to various organisations and people in football. One thing that we wanted to try and do was speak to a gay football. Unfortunately, we weren't able to organise that in time. But we did manage to get in touch with the FA. Um, we spoke to a guy called Danny who works in their communications department. He wanted us to point out that LGBT abuse is unacceptable, just like any other form of discrimination. The FA works with organisations like the PFA, Kick It Out, the Premier League and English Football League, as well as campaign-specific groups like Stonewall and Just the Ball Game. The English Football's Inclusion and Anti-Discrimination Action Plan found 18% of abuse in grassroots football was related to sexual orientation and 13% of abuse in professional football was related to sexual orientation and 19% of abuse from the crowd was related to sexual orientation. From what we've heard from all the people we've spoken to, Kevin, it's clear that more needs to be done. Definitely. I think there is some naivety and uh, a head-in-the-sand approach uh, throughout football, from fans to clubs uh, and authorities. So we really need to take this issue uh, more seriously. Uh, and hopefully the Andrea Gray incident can kick-start some of that. Um, but also on the flip side, you know, we, we've talked to some organisations such as Stonewall, um, Kick It Out, Pride in Football, who are doing some good work on this. Uh, and we need to support them and make sure that it is supported throughout football. Do you think we're going to get to a point where we're going to have gay footballers in the Premier League and the Football League and it's it's just going to be less of an issue? Do you think that's one of the reasons why homophobia in football is still this big thing? Uh, I think we certainly will. Um, hopefully in the next five years we'll certainly have some more um, non-league players um, come out Um Maybe, hopefully, a few more players after they've retired come out. We, we're going to have to have some gradual baby steps before we get to some of uh, more high-profile things like current professionals being out. I think it was interesting what Dai said about um, grassroots work being really important and then it sort of comes from from the bottom of, throughout football. Dai, was, Dai and Stonewall have been very keen to point out that it has to be these things that take time attitudes don't change overnight do they? it takes a lot of time for for people to come round to new ways of thinking I think you need to get a balance um, authorities definitely have a big role to play they need to create an environment where people can feel safe uh, and feel listened to but I think most importantly there needs to be strong voices and leadership from fans if we're going to change attitudes the best place for that to happen is among your peers yeah, definitely. I think it would also be great if we could see a an LGBT fan group at Burnley. 
yeah, David and Neil were both very receptive to that when we talked. So it'd be good to see how that develops. Um, I, I don't think there's a strong enough LGBT voices at Burnley FC. So if there was to be a Burnley uh, LGBT supporters group, uh, I hope it would not be just about supporting the supporters, uh, but also, also they can be that voice, they can influence the club where they need to be. And it can be a really two-way relationship that helps the LGBT people, but also helps the club. Absolutely. So that's about all we've got time for on this special Known and Ever podcast about LGBT issues in football. Um, as I said, there were a few things that we, we wanted to include in the podcast that we didn't have time for. Also, we've had to edit the interviews down for time constraints, but what we have done is put the interviews in full as much as possible um, online that you can access alongside the podcast. So if there's anyone in particular you're interested in hearing more from, we've allowed you to do that. Obviously, massive thank yous to everyone who took time to contribute to this podcast. Thanks to Leighton and Alec, the gay football fans that we spoke to. Thanks to Kick It Out, Stonewall, Pride in Football, the organisations that put people forward. Thanks also to Burnley Football Club for putting David Baldwin and Neil Hart forward to explain what the club does about homophobic attitudes in football. Um, and if you've got any comments or feedback or questions about what we've done for this podcast, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from people, um, people's responses about this podcast. Please do get in touch. The email address is podcast at net, and you can also tweet us at net. But that's it for this week's podcast. Thanks to Kevin for joining me as well. I've been Jamie Smith and we'll be back next week. Goodbye. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.